Our job is to try to find solutions, okay, take the next step, and then move the organization forward. And that's my commitment to everybody in our building. That's my commitment to the fans, and, and I'll be damned if I don't go down swinging. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. We're a week on past the Deshaun trade, and just as the Texans are attempting to, in free agency, we're going to try and run it back this week, I thought. One episode last week, um, under the weather, if anybody noticed, um, not feeling the best last week. So struggled on through, Matt Weston was excellent, um, but we've had a couple of media availabilities to try and talk through. Gives a bit more context than we probably had last week in terms of the raw reactions. Let's think of some of that. I've probably changed my opinion a little bit, but um, to introduce and to join me this week, a, a guy who's become a good friend of mine over this team, uh, talking about this, and that's uh, Mr. Brandon K. Scott. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. I appreciate you for having me again. We've had a really busy last couple of weeks. And so uh, I'm just kind of glad to be at this point to where we're kind of closing one chapter, opening another one. And yeah, man, it's just, uh, it's it's an exciting time around here. It's been a strange time. And I think, you know, as I said last week, it kind of, I, I, and I was actually that sick last week when I was doing the pod with Matt that I didn't actually even know on Monday that Nick, Nick had, um, had, had been in front of the media. Um, on the Saturday. Um, before we get to that, though, the most recent media availability and probably the one you wanted to hear from the most was on Friday. I was on a train when it was on live, so it was kind of a signal was kind of cutting in and out. Um, and obviously, Mr. Watson had appeared um, in front of the media um, with an open mic for the first time in a very long time. And it was awkward, to say the least. Um, I don't think people wanted to hear it. Um, I don't think people necessarily wanted to have to go through it. It was a realisation. It was a visual final, you know, full stop on that chapter, if you like. But I thought what was really interesting, Brandon, was the two complete diverging narratives, I suppose, where you had, you know, uh, Andrew Berry, who I thought did a really good job, very calm demeanour, you know, exactly what that situation needed. He's talking about a five-month odyssey and all this stuff that had gone on uh, with the team and all the, all the effort and work and legal counsel to put in, you know, and very kind of conscious to the situation, the type of allegations. And then you had Mr. Watson on the in the middle of the two just saying, yeah, I've not done anything, no regrets. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't have any regrets. Um, like, like I said before, the things that, that are off the field right now that came up, you know, caught me by surprise because I never did anything that these people are, are alleging. And I know a lot of people say that I took the year off um, and I used that to be able to clear my name um, like the previous uh, two weeks and, and just to continue to fight that. And I just continue to work and become a better person, a better player, and just a better son, um, you know, like my mom has always taught me. It was a bit odd, I thought. Yeah, it, it was. it was really odd. I thought... I actually thought for the most part, everyone really presented well, except for that major part of the no regrets and I don't have a problem. I don't need counseling. It it did not that that part of it. I don't think he did himself any favors. And I think people are still talking about it like, okay, you didn't do anything wrong. Like saying there's a difference between saying I'm innocent of what I'm being accused of and I didn't do anything wrong or I didn't make any poor choices and things of that nature. So I, I think that that's where he really messed up. I mean, he, for the most part, remained calmed. And Deshaun Watson has always really presented well. 
I think. And I, I thought for the most part that he did that up until that part. And that's not going to, that's not going to land well with anybody. You know, the lack of accountability there, like something happened. I was saying this, uh, I think a couple of days ago to a colleague, like there's a reason why only Deshaun Watson is being accused specifically of these things. There are, there are choices that he would have had to have made. Like, there's a reason why you're not being accused of this. I'm not being accused of this. The next guy in the next room is not. Like, no one else is saying this about any of the rest of us. I wonder why, you know? It's because you made some kind of choice or decision to, to allow yourself to be in that situation. I thought about this this morning when I was coming up to the studio. It's like, man, this is a really basic way of looking at it, but this is the fact. Like, either he did these things or it's the largest conspiracy against a celebrity that we've ever seen, or maybe against anybody since the, the witch trials or, you know, like people say, you know, when they say it's a witch hunt, you know, or like it actually comes from, from however many hundreds of years ago, like that, this would be that, you know, and we don't, we don't like, we don't see conspiracies to this level. So it's one of those things where, man, look, if you don't think that you did, like anything assaultive or that you harassed. Like I was actually okay with that part. I didn't assault, harass or abuse or whatever the other thing that he, I think he was saying exactly whatever the charges were or whatever the things that are being alleged, you know, so speaking out directly against those, um, you can at the very least say that, you know, you made some poor choices that you regret the misunderstanding. Okay. Um, I know, I know Kobe Bryant back when he was charged with this or when this was a thing for him years ago, eventually he ended up saying he ended up expressing some regret for the disconnect, whatever missing from what he believed the encounter to be and what she believed the encounter to be. There was just something different about it, about how they viewed it, you know, and that's probably a larger conversation about men and how, you know, how men understand consent and all of that, you know, a whole nother rabbit hole. But at the same time, like that, that just did not really present well. Other than that, you know, I thought he was fine. He was calm, you know, uh, and I, the significance of it obviously was just that we hadn't heard him speak in so long. And especially without legal representation, you know, the last time we heard him speak was outside of the uh, Rusty Harden's office a couple of weeks ago when he wasn't charged, when the, that first grand jury decided not to indict him. But that's Rusty Harden standing right there. You know, his lawyer standing there, you know. So to me, this is the first time to hear from him with no lawyers and just kind of get um, from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And, and, it, and we got what we got. Like I could, we can criticize, um, but for me, it was more important just to get it on the record, no matter how we felt about what he had to say. He just needed to come out and say something. Um, or it was, t- it was at least time to hear him say something after all these uh, months and, you know, I guess over a year now. Well, yeah, I thought it was strange how he kind of sort of really went dug down into never disrespect to never, you know, like literally he was not willing to admit even the fact that he, he, he scheduled too many different people, whatever he thought he did, somebody else thought, they, you know, he'd done them wrong. Oh well, that, and to not even not even admit that, I think that that gives us a deep maybe level of what probably a side of him we maybe didn't know before. Yeah, well, the whole that was another thing. I'm glad you mentioned that because the whole I thought that was clumsy too. Um, he could have just maybe not answered that question because he he started off the the whole, hey Deshaun, why so many massage therapists? What's that about? Essentially, was the question. 
And he starts off saying, hey, well, you know, that's still under legal review and can't really get into the details of that right now. But I will say. And then what he said after that, I feel like he shouldn't have said. He's like, my, my generation does business on Instagram now, which, look, I'm a little bit older than Deshaun, not, not a whole lot older. Um, I'm in my 30s, he's in his 20s. But like, I, I still feel like I'm from the social media age and generation, you know, um, and I understand what he means. And I've talked to some other people that do a little bit more business on Instagram than I do. Because the, clo- the closest thing I do on business on Instagram is I might be a sucker for one of those at T-shirt ads, you know, and buy a T-shirt. That's all I've ever bought from Instagram was a T-shirt. So, but I do know people who look for nail techs and, and stylists and different things like that on Instagram. But it's like, I don't think that you want to just lump in your generation and say, hey, this is how, this is just how we do business and make that be the explanation for why it is that you have 40 massage therapists. Because he's not the only 25-year-old, you know, star athlete, rich athlete, that's only 25-year-old celebrity or 26-year-old. But he is the only one that's, that, to, to our knowledge, has 40-plus massage therapists and is accused of violating in some way at least two dozen of them. So, you know, like that, that doesn't yeah. quite, the math doesn't quite add up there, even though uh, there might be something to the idea of young people doing business on social media. It, I don't know if this was that exactly. Well, it was the fact that you try to normalize, you know, it's my generation, you know, this business on Instagram, the fact that it was 40 people, but it was over a long time period there for five years, which, you know, per year, Per off season is quite a lot, um, and then he tried to sort of kind of throw some kind of shade at the media as well in terms of the process and how they had to know and and all this kind of stuff. When when we know his agent and represent representation, um, their legal side, what have you, have ran this thing um, right from the start, and I think it's it just kind of see just kind of maybe took you into his mindset a little bit in terms of what he thinks, you know, he's entitled to or what he thinks he's, you know, can absolve himself from, perhaps because of the position he's in and perhaps because he's changed with the money and I think a lot of people have said that, but I thought it was just interesting to see all those kind of factors and it kind of lifted the lid ever so slightly on what's been a kind of, you know, a long a long ordeal really for, you know, for all people. Here. Yeah, and I thought, I, w- I will say, the, the one criticism that I didn't have that a lot of other people did was the, uh, the throwing the media under the bus. I, I was watching yeah. and listening at the time and thought that was just kind of in not, maybe in jest and, and sort of joking, like not a, a flat out joke, but just more I, that to me seemed like more of a lighthearted comment. Like y'all wanted to know more about what I was doing because he's, he's sitting there talking to the media at the moment saying, it's just, you know, you guys wanted to hear more about where I was going then I actually had known specifically where I wanted to go. I was still making a decision when you guys were waiting, which is, I think, in part true. Like, I don't think that the media had any effect on his decision. Like, I don't buy that. I think he's just talking. But I do think that there's something to the idea that we, that our anticipation of his decision directly conflicted with whatever his decision-making process was. Like, you know, while we were, say, in a row, like, I want to know by Friday, or I want to know before Friday, or I'd like to get, to, I'd like to find out now, you know, for him, it's like, this is one of the biggest decisions of my life. I might take today, tomorrow, three days, however many days. Like, the, the interests conflict there in terms of how quickly we want the information and how quickly he should make the decision. 
I didn't have a big problem with the media comment, but again, um, he said, like there was, I thought it was 20 something minutes of okay. And then like five minutes of all, man, you, you know, you, you kind of, you kind of left yourself exposed a little bit in terms of, and and that's not supposed to be a funny pun, but like exposed to, uh, to criticism or, you know, for basically directly calling those women liars without showing any kind of sensitivity and then not even taking accountability for your own actions in terms of how you went about doing business and scheduling massage therapy sessions as a professional athlete with means, you know, with resources. And yeah, like a lot of the people that do business on Instagram or people that just can't find them, don't know where to find it. You know, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to look it up on Instagram. He's a guy with resources yeah. that could make a, a quick phone call phone call and it's done yeah yeah and I thought it was quite kind of strange I mean obviously they've been prepped really well and they, you know they did everything they could to to try and you know bat back which was going to be a rather combative rather direct question and continues kind of you know barrage of similar themes asked in different ways and you know it was to be expected um, but I thought that the most interesting one was you know he, he talked to himself about being honest um, and he also said you know quite you know within a similar tone that it wasn't about the money and he didn't know about the contract until his agent told him about it after he went back a step in the process and realized he wanted to go to Cleveland. I just think if you're gonna if you're gonna try and get people to believe you as an honest person or or just a just genuine guy, which I think a lot of people thought he was before this, but I mean that was obvious that the reason why it came down to one team and one team only was because they were they they went you know, they took a step into the complete unknown um, or or the completely unprecedented of offering, you know, 230 million guaranteed, the highest ever guaranteed. They tacked on 80 million extra in guarantees and and then all of a sudden the process changed. So then to sit there and say it wasn't about the money, I only knew about it after. So you change your mind about a team and then all of a sudden they were the one offering, you know, a, a potentially a CBA redefining contract. Um I just thought, you know, have a bit of awareness, son. Come on, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I almost forgot about that part, and that was not a good look either. Uh, and I, but for me, I guess for me, I was a little bit less. I was a little bit less offended by that from his standpoint. Uh, or well, let me back up. I thought it was ridiculous that he said that. Okay, let's just put that out there. I thought it was ridiculous that they tried to make it seem like it wasn't about the money. I feel like Andrew Berry tried to talk around that as well. That part was just ridiculous. And really, it's the Browns. I, I, I'm actually not as upset with Deshaun about the money and the contract and the fact that the contract, like, of course it had something to do with it. And that would, that would be silly. That would be ridiculous for it not to. Like, I am in favor of everybody going out and getting as much money. You know, I'm from capitalist America where everyone's trying to make a buck and get a, get a buck and get rich. And I, I like, I, I get that part. I'm that's more of a question and more of a criticism to me for Cleveland. Like, what are you guys doing? What are the Browns doing? What are they thinking there? Where you got a guy still with 22 sexual assault allegations, even if they're just in civil court hanging over his head. Uh, there's a reason why you, nobody could trade for this guy before then, or nobody felt comfortable trading for this guy before then because of all of the other stuff that's going on. Also a reason why you might want to pay him that money because he's a legitimate player, but that wasn't necessary. I don't feel like, and maybe they thought it was because they were in a bit of a bidding war and they were trying to, you know, outbid. They were in a competition with other teams that wanted him. Right. 
But I, I thought it would have just been beautiful for all the teams to band together and say, hey, we want to trade for this guy. We'll give up draft picks. We'll give up all the draft picks. We're not giving him no damn new contract. The guy just quit on his last contract, didn't even play under it, hasn't even played under it yet. And he wants another one. Like for me, that's where I hold power accountable, where I hold the, the, the teams and the decision makers who allowed that. Because Deshaun Watson's not supposed to do anything, but like, he would be he would be an idiot to not take that money or to not be trying to negotiate that type of money if that's out there. It's them fools that's the, the owners and the decision makers and the people that sign on the dotted line that organize that type of thing that should be held accountable and people should be upset with. Like, be mad. like if you're upset with Deshaun Watson in that contract, you need to be mad at the Browns, whoever thought that that was a good idea. Um, because it, it, I mean, because it's a horrible look, a horrible look for the league, the idea that somebody who didn't play last year, okay, and has not played on his most recent raves, just got another one. And all he's done in between then is like make shoddy decisions or at the very least be accused of some really heinous things. So, I mean, I, I thought that the, that that's something that the Browns really need to need to answer for. It was clumsy and ridiculous for them to pretend like that didn't have a factor or that that wasn't the biggest factor in where he made his decision. I ain't have a problem with that. Quite honestly, that he picked the high, that he went to the highest bidder. Duh, do that. Like, go go to the place that's going to pay you two, $230 million guaranteed. You absolutely should do it. But for the team to even do that in the first place, I thought was uh, was distasteful. And he's probably not even there if they don't offer that. I think, you know, there was reports of him trying to recruit guys to go and sign with Atlanta. Um, and, and, you know, if, if reports are to be believed, he set out and proactively brought Atlanta into the running. So I'd be interested to hear some of the back uh, corridor or uh, private meeting room conversations at the owners' meeting this week because they've they've effectively put two fingers up to the entire system. And look, I, I, as you said, I, nobody can have any qualms about players, agents, coaches, anybody taking money out of a billionaire's pocket and putting in their own, albeit it's, you know, it's excessive and... and uh, Versus, you know, your average man in the street salary. But to try and sort of suggest that that wasn't, you know, a, a, that he, they, they essentially released information that that wasn't an option. Then all of a sudden the team that was that was offering the most money, the whole process takes a U-turn and that's who he's signing for. And I, I don't think he's there without that. And he may have signed for another club. Uh, but the problem was then, I think, and what, what I think the Haslam's and, and Andrew Berry what they probably thought was, we can't get draft picks back, but we can certainly pay our way into this. And then because of the no trade clause and stuff, which we'll come on to, I think that just basically meant, they said, okay, well, we'll pay 80 million. You know, is a couple of second round and third round picks, is that worth, you know, giving up more money for to keep? And the answer is probably yes. You know, when you're looking at it objectively, because you can't buy them, you can only acquire them uh, through a trade or, or through your, you know, your selecting your your uh, selection of picks each year. So I think I think they maybe just thought, here's a way to shoehorn the process. Now, I don't think for a second, Brandon, that the agent who was the most powerful, almost like puppet master-like at times through this process, um, asserted himself effectively as the number one agent in sports, if, if he wasn't already. Um, you know, the recent Forbes list, he'll certainly be on the next list, I would guarantee he'll be up there in the top few. But I wouldn't be surprised if it was back-channeled and he said, look, if you come and give us a contract, we can't refuse. We'll come back to you and we'll get you back in the process. Um, and that's what happened. And then if they're the last team standing in the process and nobody else, then the draft capital, uh, they can dictate that at that point. 
Yeah, I, this is where I would point out that over time, Deshaun Watson, and, and by proxy, I feel like Deshaun Watson's crew, and, and we're really just talking about David Mulligetta and Deshaun Watson here specifically, but they, they have, from the beginning, wanted, I feel like at least, have fixated on this idea of doing legendary stuff, being legendary, like doing something that nobody's done before. And I feel like they pride themselves on that. I think that that is like part of what got into Deshaun Watson's head of why he didn't want to be here anymore. He didn't feel like, and I feel pretty good saying this, he didn't feel like he could become a legend here. He didn't feel like he could be a legend with the Texans because the Texans are obviously not a legendary franchise, but just were making poor decisions and weren't doing anything that suggests that he was going to have the legendary career that he wants to have, right? And then David Mulligetta is the agent, like you said, I, I mentioned this on my podcast last week, that he is sort of the, not even sort of, he is the preeminent agent in, in the NFL now. Like, move over Drew Rosenhaus. This is the guy of today. And well, Drew Rosenhaus just got uh, Neville Hewitt re-upped here, so you never know. Maybe yeah, maybe. that's right. That's right. And 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 I and I hear that Terrell Owens can still play. So yeah. one of one of his more famous clients, Terrell Owens. So maybe yeah. uh, maybe he's maybe he's somewhere waiting in the wings too to make a comeback at you know damn near fifty or whatever he is. But yeah, no, I, I so I think that there's something to what you said, what you were suggesting. Like okay, maybe it was the back channel of Mulligetta saying, hey, you add some sweet get this contract. And we were hearing reports about that before this thing materialized, right? That Deshaun Watson yeah. might want a new contract as part of his trade, as part of his new deal, as part of his new destination, whatever. And sure enough, that's what it was. So it's not only, this is brilliant, quite honestly, like hate Deshaun Watson for as much as you want as a Texans fan. But this was brilliant from a business standpoint of, hey, we're going to create a little bit of a market, a little bit of a competition here. And since we hold the cards and getting to really decide where we go with the no trade clause, we're going to go to the highest bidder. You know, I, I had someone object to the idea on Twitter. They, they objected to the idea that like Mulligetta did anything special and that basically the, the Browns just bought Deshaun Watson. Well, <laughs> based off of their actions, they seemed like they were for sale. But that sound like what the goal was, you know, um, not necessarily going to for sure the team he wanted to go to, right? I think it turned out that maybe the team, that, the place that he wanted to go, and we have on pretty good authority, was Miami, and that no longer was a thing. So, all right, well, now show me the money. I'll go to the highest bidder. And that seems to be clearly what they did. And um, from that standpoint, I can't really knock them for it because they, they won. Th this was the sick part about the whole thing was that for, for, from a team's perspective, from a Texas perspective, and if you're a Browns fan, you're looking, okay, who won the trade? Who's going to get the better deal out of this? Browns fans more than likely get the better deal because they get a ready-made, bona fide franchise quarterback to go with an already built-to-win roster. The Texans can win in the long run because they can hit on these picks, accelerate their rebuild, or I don't know if accelerates the right word. They had a, a, a year zero of a rebuild this past year, so it would be damn time for them to, to get to get going. But you you get what I mean. Like they could they could atone for this by hitting on their picks, uh, evaluating and drafting correctly, and all of that. And everybody can come out a winner eventually. 
But in the immediacy, like this happened on what a Friday. So by Friday night, Saturday morning, or let's let's fast forward by the time Watson's physical was finished. Okay. And that that trade was consummated. The only winner was Deshaun Watson and by proxy David Mulligetta. Those are those are your winners here because they played the game to a T. Like they manipulated the system. Okay. And found a way to not only manipulate the system, but manipulated a system that is not designed to, to, to curry their for to, to be in their favor. And they found a way to flip it and make it into their favor and got this guy probably more money, money that he quite honestly has not earned, but that don't have nothing to do with it. <laughs> it's not how much money you earn is how much money they are willing to pay you. And uh, they figured it out. They played the game and they played it well. There's there's an element as well I think that everybody wanted to hear and we kind of we kind of knew it and I think everybody's close to it in the local media and some kind of national front as well that um, there was definitely a desire for everybody listening to that to understand why he left. It kind of lent towards that at some point um, in in the press conference and it was asked and there was uh, two questions quite back to back one was a follow up was. Why did you want to leave? Uh, Deshaun, one of the reasons you're here is because you asked to be traded from Houston. Why did you ask? Why did you want out of Houston? Uh, the biggest thing was, I think, at the time, um, we just both were going in different directions. And so for me to be able to accomplish the things that I want to do, um, you know, we, we started off doing it privately with my agency, and then it led to, you know, the whole big situation. But... Yeah, we just it was it was a time for both of us to kind of part ways. Just a couple months after they had given you a new contract, so what triggered your change of sentiment? Um, I think for this circumstance in this situation, it's hard to get too far into the details. But um, yeah, it was just like I said before, it was just a time for both of us to part ways. I know that previously the the contract was given to me that summer. Um, but at the same time, I was honest and straightforward with the organization. They were honest with me, and we came to the conclusion that this was the best situation. Now, he sort of hinted at it, um, and I sort of took it as, you know, they'd raised concerns prior to the contract. This is just me reading between the lines in terms of what he said and what he didn't say and how he said it. But I kind of took it as he made it clear that there, were, there was concerns, i.e. the hop trade, things didn't progress, and then got to a point of no return after the 2020 season because he'd never had a season like that in his life, and it just that was that was his end point. Um, and with obviously lack of draft picks, lack of players on the roster, and it, look, he's right. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's right. Um, but I think that the bit from and the bit there that was missing was why did you want to leave? Could it have changed? And did you not give this next regime a chance? And I think that was the, the two bits that I would probably would have wanted to ask that even though the GM changed, you still wanted to leave at that point. Um, and it would have been good to to listen to that answer. I mean, I don't think you'd necessarily given a direct one to it, but that would have been something that I would have would have wanted to hear and and the fact that, the, you know, in the contract and all that kind of stuff, you know, what's to say you won't want out here, you know, of Cleveland in a year's time if things don't go well because things can change very quickly in this league and that's just the ebbs and flows of it. But... Yeah, we, we never really got the answer that I, pro- I suppose anybody like myself that tuned in 
wanted to hear or even got close to probably what the what the truth was. It's probably what we know already, but it would have been good to have that crystallized. Yeah. So the last part you said is where I would co-sign and pick up is it's what we know already. And it would have been good to hear a little, to get a little bit of clarity on that particular matter. Um, there, this is what the downside of like the way media has changed and our investment in media and local media has changed because, you know, 20 years ago, this a thing like this happens and, you know, the, our local press corps, maybe not myself, but, you know, the Houston Chronicle is sending a reporter to Cleveland to cover this press conference, you know, like there's going to be a Houston uh, tendency somewhere. Like you're going to find a, a Houston sports media representation in there somewhere. Instead, what happened, and I know this from pretty good authority, instead what happened is that we got questions, fed, you know, we, we planted questions through, through friends in the Cleveland media. And so shout out to the Cleveland media for doing their part, but their interests are not ours, right? And so there was never going to be a reason for them to go the extra mile with the question that you just brought up of why not give the new regime a chance? Because they did ask the question, and this is why I credit them, they did ask the question why, what changed, you know, with the new contract and followed up with that. But the, 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 another question would have been why not give, if you had a problem with the direction in which the team was going at the time, okay? And he even said that at the time, okay? Which I thought was interesting. But, and I don't want to read too much into it, but he did say at the time. Okay, well, that was at the time. What about now? Okay, because something, there, there was a change from the time, like the people who gave you the contract are not necessarily the same ones that are running the team. The people, the, the, the people that traded Deshaun Watson, I'm sorry, who traded DeAndre Hopkins, in, in part are not necessarily the same. Okay, now the, the, the main figure there is still around. And, and the, the, of course, that name didn't come up and there were no mentions of that. Uh, but I do feel like there would have been at least somebody in our press corps who would have addressed that or at least I like to think so. I don't know. Um, Jack, Jack Easterby's done a good job of uh, cozying up to the media here. Um, I don't know if everyone knows it, but like you, you'll notice that you really only hear his name on the radio. You don't hear people really write about him as much as, as they used to. Um, but but to, again, to your point, I, I think that it would have helped with clarity and providing closure if we could have heard something from Deshaun Watson on why exactly this happened. Now, here's the thing that I think is interesting, retrospect. At the time, I would have never said this, so I'm not trying to play revisionist history and say, or, or like say that I had this like groundbreaking thought, but certainly in retrospect, I think now, damn, if this was the case, why'd they even sign him to that deal? You know, there was, there was no need to sign Deshaun Watson to that extension. You know, the only, the only logic, the only logic for it uh, would be two-part because he's the guy, your future, you're just showing a, a, a level of belief in him and confidence in, in him. And it could be like a good morale boost or something like that. And then the idea that he would be more expensive for the longer you wait, right? If they waited the next year or the next year, DBA uh, or, you know, like salaries will be, be higher, basically. The market will be, it'll be a different kind of market, okay? So th those are the only real reasons for why they did that. But like if 
let, let, let's say Deshaun Watson is expressing some level of skepticism with the organization. Okay. Why, why negotiate that kind of, like everybody should still be, just still be on a prove it deal. He wouldn't have been playing on his fifth year option until this past year. So that would, that was, I mean, that was two years too early on his contract. He didn't have to do it. Um, and if he's expressing doubt and skepticism with the organization, which to be fair, he would have been right to do because, because they were screwing it up. Like he was, he was right on his point. Okay. But if that's the case, I don't know what the rush was to get that deal done. Cause it's not like he could leave you anyway. I, I was making this point last week in a weird way. Deshaun Watson signing that, not even in a weird way. This is just what happened. Deshaun Watson signing that contract extension is what empowered him to be able to leave. Like without it, he's stuck here. He's stuck here through the rebuild and through whatever the hell else he doesn't want to be going through. Like he's stuck. The contract extension and inserting that no trade clause on the back end is what empowered him. Okay. He got more money for one thing. So he had more cushion to fall on and to make the decision of, hey, I'll sit out if, if you make me. And then he had the no trade clause to kind of dictate, not kind of, to dictate where he would go to dictate his next destination. And so the power for Deshaun Watson was in the contract extension. And it was taken away from the Texans like by, by paying him, okay, and signing him to the contract. They lost their control of the situation. Uh, which is a, a fascinating thing to think about in retrospect, because I certainly wasn't thinking of it like that at the time. But yeah. but that's basically what happened here. They signed a guy too early, and it cost it cost them the guy that they signed, uh, which is a mind bleep if you ask me. But but that's that's what happened. Yeah, to go back to that phrase you said there, like at that time was the exact phrase. If you've listened to the David Muggleta interview with Ryan Clark from ESPN on that podcast, he used that exact phraseology when he was talking about when they signed the contract, he said it was an easy deal to do, everybody came to the right value yeah, he, he, he ran rings around them in terms of negotiation, got you know heavy cash flow at the front end, got the no trade clause and he said it was a, a place that he liked playing at at that time and Brandon, I suppose Casario was we move on to the sort of secondary press conference or, or this the Saturday morning press conference, which attracted a number of reporters, <laughs> partly because you know they don't have, often don't have uh, commitments, so the, it was a it was a bit of a scrum to get questions in. Uh, but your question um, certainly drew a very distinct reaction from Casario. Um, he sort of I don't know if you listened to the audio back, but he sort of chuckled under his breath. Oh, yeah. He he then had a sort of kind of irked Luke and then he even sort of did the stick the tongue in the side of the mouth kind of uh, reaction to hold himself from saying anything um, and you could tell it pissed him off to no end that he had to deal with that no trade clause and he and I think he and obviously he knows and I was I, I was I was I, and I was pissed off last week when I saw the trade come through we'll come back to that point but but I, I took a bit of solace in the fact that I saw that, you know, gen, for a guy who's pretty calm, analytical, you know, logical thinker, he was he was majorly pissed with that uh, outcome. And you could tell that. And the way you and the way you asked the question was very very appropriate. You know, would you would you make you would it make you think about inserting these clauses in the future, etc. Um apologies if I've misphrased that, but 
but you could tell his reaction said more than his answer did. And I, I think that gave me a little bit of comf- comfortability in him. I, I've not had much um, over the over the time, but certainly you knew that how much he realised that the agent uh, using that really changed the direction and, and the direct result of what equity they got back. Um and you could tell it really, really fucking irked them, you know? Yeah. If I had the opportunity, and sometimes we do get this chance, and just sometimes we don't. And uh, this was one of those where it didn't really feel like I'd be able to, but I would have put them aside. And if I didn't get this on the record, I wouldn't share it, but I'll just tell you what I would have asked them. Like, do you think the league, do you think something should be done about how these contracts are negotiated and how these uh, no trade clauses are used, basically getting at the question of the heart of the question being right. Should a team, I'm sorry, should a player and an agent be able to weaponize a no trade clause to force a trade? Because the way we understood it or have understood no trade clauses to work for as long as we've been around is that it is veto power. It is to keep you from going to, and I, I don't necessarily hate the idea that a player uh, can control his own destiny. So I, I want to be clear on that end. I, I'm not opposed to that. <laughs> I just think that it needs to be like, it needs to be clearer on what things are. Um, I don't love the, especially being somebody that, that who has Texans interest, don't like the idea that the no trade clause was weaponized and used to get a guy out of here. Not opposed to, players, agents having some type of mechanism that allows them to, you know, like if, if everybody could agree, may, may, maybe it would be different. Okay. Put it to you this way. Maybe it would be different if that was how no trade clauses were used, or if that's not, if we didn't call it a no trade clause, you know, like if, if that was already the sort of the terms of engagement, if we knew that on the front end, we did not. The way we understood a no trade clause to work was it was when they wanted to send you somewhere that you didn't want to go. I hadn't heard of anybody saying, hey, trade me on the front end, saying, hey, trade me. I'm not going to play for you anymore. You must trade me. And then say, oh, and by the way, that contract that we negotiated the last time we negotiated contract has a no trade clause. And so not only will you trade me, but you will trade me where you want to go. So could there be this would have been my question to Nick. Could there be something to be done? to not allow a no trade clause to be used, to be weaponized, to force a trade as opposed to just vetoing. And that was the question that I asked him and, you know, on the record was just, what did he think about that? But as a follow-up, I would love to know what, and he, and he didn't really answer it, right? But as a follow-up, I would love to know what he thinks could be done uh, institutionally or legal or procedurally or through the league or through a collective bargaining agreement. If they could, if they could come to an agreement on how these things work, you know, and everybody knows up front how these things work. Cause that was very confusing. It's like, Oh, wait a minute. I thought, I mean, I, when I think of no trade clauses, I think about baseball. Uh, I don't really think about football cause there's like maybe a dozen of them in the league at a time. You know, it's not like a, it's not a bunch of guys running around here with no trade clauses. Oh, uh, so, so the fact that that was even in the contract was a little odd and then, of course, the unprecedented way in which it was weaponized and Nick Casario <laughs> having to deal with it, like, like he didn't negotiate that. And I'm not going to give him so much credit to say that he wouldn't have allowed it to begin with. OK, I don't like I'm not going to blame him for it because he wasn't here for it. But also like th- this one pulled the wool over everybody's eyes. 
because no one had seen this before. I'm going to demand a trade, refuse to play, and then I'll only go to the place that I select because I have no trade clause. Um, very creative. Very interesting. Uh, a, a, feels a little slimy. But, I mean, that's the business, you know. Um, and, and so I, I would just love to know what happens next. What, what comes of the no trade clause in the future, if anything? Um, th- there's a template now. Like, so, so to that point, the next player that tries to negotiate a no trade clause, does, does management, okay, does team management, whoever's negotiating on the team's behalf, do they say, nah, man, I remember, what, I remember what Deshaun Watson did with that thing. Deshaun Watson signed this contract with a no trade clause and was out of here, was ready to be out of here in six months or whatever the time span was. He was out of here, you know, like we didn't, we didn't even get half a year. Uh, we got one season and not even half a calendar year before this guy was ready to go. Uh, no, we're not putting a no trade clause in there or, you know, like I, I'm very interested. What is the future of the no trade clause on football after this? Yeah, I think it's just as simple as you put a, a clause in or a sub clause. If you request a trade, your no clause is vetoed, you know, I think. And, and that would have been prudent anyway um, for it. But it just shows you, I think that the, as you said, the, the trade judo, if you like, um, or the or the or the detail was turned upon both clubs. I think when you think about the the structure of the contract in Cleveland, where he basically can't lose, you know, next and negligible amounts of money for, you know, his upcoming salary, when he basically negotiated a contract to leave somewhere, you know, the the antithesis of what you you know you'd, you'd assume you're signing a contract for. And, you know, I'll fucking credit to the agent. I mean, he completely outfoxed everybody, including the owners and billionaires. And, they were cold. And, uh, and it was, it's not, I mean, you know, I hate that phrase, you know, chess and checkers, but that's about as close as you can get to it. Um, when, you, when you understand somebody's constructs and sub-clauses and league rules and you use it against them all to get your client more money and fair play them, you know. Um and I suppose we never got the answer, you know, that we wanted about, you know, the court, any sort of, probably any closure. And you might get that in the, in the lead up to whenever we play Cleveland and guarantee the schedule makers will, you know, make it at the back end, um, pending any sort of kind of suspension and all that kind of thing. But I can, um, let me do the reading between the lines though, because I, I will say that what he gave us, while not satisfactory to, 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 to our standard, like we, we didn't think it was enough. We, you agree and most people agree. But he did, he did say something, okay? And, and his answer was, we were going in different directions at the time. And basically, in order for me to do the, the thing, to, for me to accomplish the things that I wanted to do, this is the agreement that we came to. What that means, okay? And this doesn't take, like, this isn't more code. He didn't think they were doing enough to win. He didn't. He did not trust leadership, and it went all the way up to the top to ownership. He actually liked Bill O'Brien. We all know that. Like it's, that's not just something that he said for the cameras and for the microphones. He like legitimately did like Bill O'Brien. I do not know where we would be right now if we would still be here right now if Bill O'Brien was still the coach. That 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 is a hypothetical that I almost don't even like. Like mentally, I don't want to play that game. Quite honestly, like how that relationship would have affected Deshaun's decision-making and whether he would, would have demanded a trade or if they would have been able to talk it out because he did like Bill O'Brien so much. 
LeBron's also the one who traded DeAndre Hopkins, not alone, right? Did it with Easterby, but he's also the one that traded DeAndre Hopkins. He's also the one that negotiated all of those bad contracts, traded for Laramie Tunsil for Deshaun, right? To protect Deshaun, but did that anyway. Um, screwed them out of draft capital. They ended up having to pay that guy sticker price. Um, Laramie Tunsil, that is. Gave out a lot of other bad contracts with the Merciless uh, being one of them, Randall Cobb. So, so like Bill O'Brien was the reason for, uh, in large part, okay, the fact that Bill O'Brien was empowered to be the primary football decision maker was the reason why they were going in the, the direction, the wrong direction, as, as Deshaun Watson would describe it. But he also had an affinity for Bill O'Brien. Um, did not believe in leadership and management. Okay. But that was essentially Bill O'Brien. So like I, that, that's the part that is a little bit confusing. I would love to have a little, a little bit more depth of a conversation and kind of figure out where, what, what were the exact things other than the Hopkins trading, obviously like that was huge. But what were some of the other things that stood out to Deshaun that made, that gave him red flags uh, and gave him pause about the organization aside from like, were the things that I just mentioned that you and I could rattle off as people who follow the team or, you know, it, would, it could have been something else, something interpersonal, right? That, that we wouldn't know about. You know, like I would love to know what the answer to that is, but I just wanted to say that he did the, the, the part about going in different directions. Like if you read between the lines, that means those guys suck at putting together a team. And I think I'm better than that. That's what he meant. He, he thinks he's better than the Texans. Do with that what yeah. you will, Texans fans. Yeah. I don't think he's wrong. I certainly, <laughs> um, well, he's certainly not wrong in the eighteen-month, twenty-month spiral that, yeah. that you know that, that the team was on. And I think when you think of like the last fourteen months, you could tell on Saturday morning when you were sitting there in front of Casario, he wanted this done. He wanted to see the back out. You know, Lovey Smith made comments a bit more directly and a bit less tactfully about you know moving on is good for both sides. Yeah. But Mike, my, my, you know, when he started off, Casario talking about clarity and everything. And, you know, when I was watching it, and at the time, um, and subsequently upon reflection, I think when you think of you, you sustained the uncomfortable for 14 months. And then, you tr- and then once you had some clarity from the legal point of view, you traded them within a week, two weeks, whatever it is, right? And my point is that you... For me, I'll always look back on that trade and say Casario overvalued the clarity versus the actual value and equity of return that he perhaps should have got. Now, I know the no trade clause was a big angle, but my point, I keep going back to, what was the rush? Why did it have to be done now? We're not playing till September. If you had to wait until, you know, right until the depths of April up till the draft, you then opened up an extra year of draft picks. So to, to, to pull the trigger at that point to me, is still nonsensical, you know, a week or so on, that it didn't need to be that way. And you and time works equally on both sides of the table in a negotiation. And the time sat with the Texans because, you know, if you pay him 35 million this year, if he's on or off, you know, if he's off the team or you have those picks, you know, and that's one pick this year, by the way, that's not picks multiple or of any equity, then... What was the rush? And I still keep going back to that in my head all the time. You didn't need to do it now. You pulled the trigger too early. But I think Casario, and I understand why, and it must have been frustrating as hell for him, but he overvalued the clarity 
over the actual equity return that he got in terms of draft picks and zero players. Yeah, so I'm a little bit different on this. I, I agree with the, the point of the return being less than ideal. I was surprised to not see. I would have been okay with either or, either the, the second round picks or the players. I didn't necessarily need both. The fact that they got neither, no second round picks, no players, I thought was a sham. I thought that was ridiculous. Uh, was very, very disappointed in that, just to say that off top, that I, I agree with that notion. I'm not somebody that's like, you needed picks and players, but you needed one or the other. Like, you couldn't come out of here with just, basically just three first-round picks. I thought, for sure, you would have I, some kind of mix of players. Like, the three first-round picks were standard. And then some type of mix of players and, and twos. They didn't get neither one of those. I was very, very disappointed to see that. However, I actually was okay with the clarity part. Uh, and and I, would, I would also ask the question and would be curious of what the answer would be was how much, was clear, how much is clarity worth to you, man? Like, well, that's it, yeah. how, how, much, how much would you pay for a peace of mind? Which I think is an interesting philosophical question to begin with, like no matter what the, what the situation is. Like how much would you pay for a peace of mind if something was bothering you and you just needed to get rid of this this thing, this burden, okay? And so it's it's just interesting from a thought experiment. How much is clarity worth? But I, I'm I'm okay with just moving on, getting the uh, the the three first round picks because I think that that no matter what was going to be the hallmark of the trade either way. Like you needed the three first round picks. Of course, I thought that it was also standard to get the twos at least a couple of twos, uh, if not players, one or the other. They didn't get that. But I, like I'm, I am okay with the fact that, so they've already lost a year behind this whole thing. You, you, you asked the question, what's the rush? The rush is that you've already, you've already lost a year. And that if this thing goes past the draft, like you were saying, you don't have to do it right now. Yeah, no, you don't. You're, you're, you're right about not having to do it right now. Do you really want to miss another draft? Do you want Deshaun Watson to hold you hostage for two straight drafts? You know, do you like like at, at what point do you say, okay, this thing's got to get done one way or the other? They were talking about even before the trade, like you heard from Lovey Smith saying that he'd like to see a done a deal done sooner rather than later. Um, and I feel like Nick Casario probably had made some similar comments about that, about you know, once the information becomes more relevant and prevalent. Like I didn't get the sense that they wanted this thing to, to, to linger any further than it already had. So I already got the sense that they were ready to like move on, get into this draft, which is deep. Okay. This is the perfect draft to have multiple first round picks to have, you know, which is uh, maybe another, yeah. why I didn't understand why they didn't get the twos. Cause it's also a good draft to have multiple twos. You know, well, yeah, I was going to say uh, for me, yeah. we'll come on to that a bit, but I think the twos would have been in, in some t in theory, uh, more value potentially. And look, nobody's got a crystal ball, right? But right. yeah, it feels like the twos and the on and the even the even thirds might have had more money because you know, like the compensation changed. And okay, you got an extra fourth round pick. Quite why it changed, I don't think anybody's that clear. Um, Casero put down as as procedural. But a fourth-round pick means another Tyler Irvin. Another fourth-round pick means a fucking Travado Williams. You know, like, the fourth-round pick hit rates are not great. We don't have many fourth-round picks to hit. 
Kiki Cutie is probably the last good one we had that actually made an impact on the field reasonably quickly. But whenever it's oh well, you got an extra fourth. And I said, well, we're still miles off where it needed yeah, to I, be. I don't care about the fourth. The fourth does nothing. Yeah. Like like I I want to throw it. I wanted the first. Well, here's the thing. Here's what I think though, and I think this matters in terms of you know what our reaction is and how mad we can or like we can do whatever we want, but how mad we should or shouldn't be. The fact, maybe I should have asked this question to the Nick Serio, but the fact that, like, this was this was different from any of the other quarterback dramas that we saw from over the offseason. Like, let's just use Russell Wilson as the example, right? The other quarterback, star quarterback that was traded. This was different because it was already well-established, well-known that Deshaun Watson would never play for the Texans again. And I, I am curious on how much that can hurt the negotiation. Like the fact that the year played out the way it did last year and that Deshaun Watson not only very clearly wanted to be traded, but between the two of them, Watson and Texans, they had shown a willingness to put him on the pine, to put him on the shelf. You know, like they had shown that they had proven to the world that he was never going to play there again. And so, like, I don't know how much that hurts your negotiation. Like, how much does it hurt you when you're saying, okay, we're only going to accept this for this player and nothing less? You know, the other team's like, all right, well, that guy's never going to play for you again anyway. Like, to me, to me, I was saying this last year before training camp, and, and all of this was still out there about the trade, him demanding the trade and all that, that they needed to operate from the standpoint that did not give off the impression that he would never play there again because that would hurt their, their negotiating power. I did say that, did believe that, that if it became known and obvious that he'd never play there again, that that would not be a good look for them when they start going and asking for compensation because you can hold that over their heads. Oh, you're, you're trading, you're, you're demanding all of this for a player that is of no use to you. He'll never play for you again. I always wondered about that. And then on the other end, since the, the no trade clause, like we mentioned earlier, what was going to change about the offers, about the deals? Like, did, did they come to a realization that whether this is impacting our, you know, oh, he'll never play here again thing, whether that's impacting the negotiations or not, this is, these are the offers we're getting, you know, and they're less than ideal, but we are getting our three first. Um, that, that's, you know, of course, in addition to us having our picks back, right? So now we essentially got two first in every round the next three years. Like, is it just time to cut our losses and move on? Like, I, I think that I think that they just took the L. Like, I'm not I'm not arguing that I'm not arguing that you're wrong in this in the points that you're making. I just think that they looked at it and they said, you know what, we're gonna take this L, you know, and, and and not focus on. I do this a lot in life too. Not focus on on what the trade isn't, but focus on what the trade is, and what it is is these three first round picks. All right. And that, and I'm, I'm not trying to justify this, man, because I, I agree with you. I'm with. You, all right. But. I became OK with it because it's like. Well. This is the situation that they put themselves in. OK, this is this is the culmination of bad business. All right. And what becomes the result? You know, a, a bad business return. And I think for as poorly as they've done things leading up to now, they're somewhat fortunate to be in a situation now where they can build the team, 
and move on from Deshaun Watson. Get rid of his money. That's Cleveland's problem now. You do have the three first. Um, I, I can't justify the compensation that they got back other than to say that they screwed themselves in negotiation by, and look, what was the solution to that? Do they force Deshaun Watson to play? Like, how do they fix that? I don't know. Like, it, it sucks that it had to be that this guy sat out the whole year. The whole world saw it, all right? And they agreed to let it happen, you know? So, like, I, 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 I just think that, I think that the Texans, and more so the fans, I don't even want to call say that they're victims because they put themselves in this. But the fans who want it more and expect more are the victims in this uh, from a transactional standpoint because their team at every turn made bad decisions or made decisions that had domino effects on them. And so, uh, so I tried not to harp on it, even though I agreed with everybody on the compensation part, wanted more, expected more, feel like they should have got more. Deshaun Watson would have been worth even more than that, okay, than the, what we thought the fair market was because he's a franchise quarterback uh, and, and gives you a chance to win. But, um, but them's the breaks, man, when you, when you do bad business. And I think that the, the, the cost of waiting, to me, the, the downside of waiting would have just meant that you would have missed out on this draft. And I don't, I, I don't think that they would have been able to live with that, of missing out on having an extra pick, an extra first-round pick in this draft, even though I thought they should have got more. Um, I think that they saw an opportunity here. They're on their second head coach. Think about that, too. All right. We don't know what Nick Casario is being evaluated by. We don't know how long he's going to be like, what, what's his leash? What's his, what's his rope, right? We don't know the answer to that. But we're in year two. He's on his second head coach. Year one wasn't good. Wasn't expected to be. But like at some point, you got to at some point, you got to get Good turn to tell you, yeah, you got to yeah. get going at some point. So it's just it just sucks, man. It sucks. Yeah, I hate it. But I, I but I was ready to move on. I was like, OK, we got the three got the three first. Let's go. Let's go. This is a good draft to have the three first in. Now. Now the pressure is hitting on every single one of those damn first. Mm. Well, the, well, do you think he is under pressure? I mean, first point actually on that is if you'd have waited a week or even two day, two weeks or even 10 days, do you think David Tepper and Scott Fritter uh, in Carolina wouldn't have come back with another offer? Oh, actually, okay, we'll fully guarantee years three and four. Do you not think um, Terry Fontenot and uh, Arthur Blank, the owner in Atlanta, would have come back? We want to bring our boy home. Let's bring him back to the state. If you'd have given it an extra week, would that have made a difference? We'll never know. And again, it's hypothetical. We'll add that to the, the laundry list is, you know, Higher than you know, higher than the that new skyscraper they're building on the on uh, on Lake Travis in Austin, going to be the highest building in Texas. It, it, the Texans hypotheticals could outbuild that brick by brick, but but why didn't you wait? I think we'll never know on that one. It's, well, but then the follow up so, question to that is, let's say that they do, and what? So what? What if what if Cleveland's the only one that's offering the two hundred and thirty million dollars, and that's yeah. John Watson's going to go. Yeah, and, and look, that might have been the case. Casario might right, so they would but, they would have had to offer more picks and the money because they got because they're selling Watson, you know. Yeah, they're really selling Watson. They've already sold Casario because they got the the three first round picks were clearly what it took to get into the door. Like apparently nothing else mattered. So all you need to do to get in the door is the three first round picks to actually get Deshaun Watson. You need to do, apparently pony up two hundred and thirty million dollars. So I, just, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the answer to that. And, and I'm surprised that, that if that was the stakes and you think, if you think of the position Atlanta are in right now, um, if you think of the position Carolina are in, they've got no answers at the position. Right. 
They even went to far as basically ending the relationship with Matt Ryan a year early, taking the biggest dead cap ever, which makes me suggest at some point when they were starting that process, they thought they were going to sign him. So for me, I just think you could have waited, and, and we'll never know, there's probably not too much point kind of dwelling on it. Uh, but it felt like, you know, you maybe left the door, you should have left the door open just for that little bit longer. Didn't have to go through on that Friday. You know, you could have gone Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday even, just to just to eke out the market because, you know, as you said, the deadline potentially spurs some, you know, you see it in sort of soccer transfers all the time. People overpay for players at the last minute on the last day of the window every year because they go, right, we need to get this guy, let's do it. So, you know, there was no deadline. You impose the deadline for clarity. Does that clarity pay off? I don't know. And as you said there, Brandon, he has to hit on the picks. And and I thought from going from the start of the off-season to I'm immune to pressure to then after going through the biggest trade and the biggest set-piece negotiation, which arguably didn't attain full value back, he says, I'll be damned if I don't go down swinging. So that's a huge departure from... I don't, I don't feel pressure. I'll leave that to you guys to, I'll go down swinging. So it makes me think in the background, whether that's Easter Beewee's clipboard out, giving them some pointers or whether that's Cal or whatever, you know, whoever the pressure is, unless, I mean, it, it could all just be self-placed pressure to motivate them and, and, and make them do the best job ever. It could be either. But I thought that was a change in tone that was, was noteworthy. Yeah. I just didn't think that he had, as much power as we would like to think that he did as the general yeah. manager. Like the way we like to view it is general manager holds all the cards. He doesn't have to do anything that he doesn't want to do. He can wait. And like, I agree. I would have loved for him to have waited, but you know, at the end of the day, Cleveland was sitting there, they're waiting on $230 million. And like, it wasn't a, like it, no one owed. That's the thing that sucks. The only, the only person that owed anything to the Texans here is, is, is is Nick Casario, and he's kind of got the least power. Sean Watson's got the power with the no trade clause. All 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 Nick Casario can do is say, "I won't trade you," and he, and he's done. He's done that already. Like he already did that for a year. So it's like, okay, what? Here's what would be, would be my question: Is let's say he waits, and and you've posed some hypotheticals there, but what changes substantively? Like they can come up with more offers, right? And that can better offers that are more satisfactory and more suitable for this. But Deshaun Watson doesn't have any loyalty or or like obligation to the Texans. Like he doesn't he didn't care about what Carolina's offering, about what Atlanta's offering the Texans. What are they offering him? You know, and so my my thing on that is, yeah, I'm upset about the compensation, but I'm not sure what would have changed in a week two weeks or or however long if anything would have come up like basically once the browns come in and say we'll pay you 230 million dollars and deshaun watson says yeah I'll do, I'll do that nothing else really matters everything else we're talking about is sort of just a bunch of minutiae because you got one team that's willing to pay a couple hundred million dollars and one guy that's finally willing to waive his no trade clause gets the final say and what yeah. that deal gets done and that puts that puts Nick Casario squarely in the middle, <laughs> squarely in the middle of those uh, of those two camps. So um, I thought he, I thought he I, I, he didn't have both hands tied behind his back, but to me he was in a boxing match with one hand tied behind his. He was boxing with one hand. I thought. 
Well, that's it. And I suppose the, the irony of it all is that Casario can't go back to Atlanta and say, uh, or, or Carolina and say, can you up the contract offer? Because it's just not his place to do that. Exactly. So, exactly. so, and that, that goes back to the point where it's, it's. I mean, I'm I'm sure he could have said it indirectly. Um, and who's to say uh, he yeah. even knew? I, I have no idea. But who's to say he even yeah. knew about that? About Because yeah. at that point, that's not even his business. So all he knows yeah. possibly is that Deshaun wants to go to Cleveland for who knows what reason. And then, Lo and behold, is uh, there are two hundred thirty million reasons why. Yeah, well, that's it. I think you've got to let it settle in. You, you lost the the biggest, you know, the, the most important and best player you've ever had. You know, legal issues aside, to go to Cleveland, which you know, if you'd have said that to me three years ago, I never believed you. But but what's wild is, and I thought this is what you were going to say. You lost the trade before it even happened. You lost the trade when you negotiated the contract. Yeah, the no trade yeah, clause. It was that that was you lost this trade in what was it August or September of twenty twenty? Uh, September, yeah. You, lo- yeah. you lost the trade that actually happened in March of twenty twenty two. You lost the trade in September of twenty twenty. I think the, the biggest thing probably um, yesterday provides everybody is clarity, just in terms of direction. And and really, what we're trying to do is just try to put together a consistent winner, put together a foundation, um, and put together a team that, that a lot of people can be proud of. People within the organization, players, coaches, front office people, the fans, most importantly. I think everybody just wanted clarity. Um, and we said from the beginning, we're going to be patient. I'm going to try to be very thoughtful and, and just try to make the right decision. Uh, for the organization, um, yesterday we felt was that opportunity, and we felt it was the right time. So that's why we went ahead and made the decision, you know, that we did. So that's the big thing to probably to take from this is to look forward, to think about what's ahead of us. Um, I would say this: there's a lot of work that we need to get done, no question about it. We're a long way from being where we need to be. There's a lot of work ahead of us, but I would say no one player, no one thing is going to change this organization. It's not going to happen overnight. There's a lot of work, purposeful work that's going to go into it. But I think we're heading in the right direction. Um, you know, the draft assets and the draft allocation that'll kind of take care of itself, and we have the job to do on that front. Um, and then not looking too far ahead. But I think as it sits here today, we have almost $100 million of salary cap space at our disposal. So that could, you know, that could change over. There's a lot of things that could change between now and then. But I would say just where we are today, that's kind of where we're positioned. So I think it's important for us to, to move forward. Um, and that's the most important thing. So Yeah, and I wonder if there'll be any sort of reflection and stuff. Because if I was Casario and the question they didn't ask, and I don't know if there was any questions you wanted to ask, you didn't get in, Brandon. Yeah, yeah, I, I did ask that question. I asked, "What is the lesson to be learned?" Sorry, was that your follow up? Yeah, that was yeah. my follow up, and then Landry asked it. I think a little bit more acutely, but I my follow up was, "Is there a lesson f- from an organizational standpoint to be learned about how you deal with your star players, with your best players, and how those relationships are cult are, are uh, cultivated?" Yeah, yeah. Um, because and I, and I just said, you know, because the argument is or would be that this shouldn't have had to happen. Like this doesn't happen. And shouldn't happen, you know. So how do you prevent it? Like, how do you, from a relationship building standpoint, prevent that? Um, and he, uh, he he gave some kind of answer about, hey, all the relationships in the building are important. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't get. I didn't get that question from the answer. But yeah, that makes sense. Right. Yeah. And then later, but then later on, Landry, I thought, asked it a little bit more directly. Like, how can fans be sure that this won't happen again? Like, basically, my question, but in a more, you know. Like writing your chest, like, hey, you know, how how do we know that the next that the, that the next guy, this isn't going to happen with the next, you know? Um, and then that was the answer where 
where Nick says, hey, you can't bitch and complain like he's used the word. Yeah, bitch and moan about it. That was that was what that answer was from. So, uh, I mean, he gave the answers that he wanted to give. He doesn't he doesn't tend to answer direct questions with direct answers. And you got to do your best to read between the lines and try to figure out what is it that he's trying to communicate to you through whatever answer that he gives you, um, which is you know part of the, uh, the art of media anyway. But uh, but he's very good at that, uh, at not giving a direct answer to a direct question and saying exactly what it is that he wants to say. Uh, no matter what your question was. So, um, but, 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 but that's a, that's a good thing to think about though, right? As we talk about, as we talk about these first round picks, as we talk about the picks that we wish we had and didn't get, right? Like what <laughs> you get, you start getting these franchise cornerstones as they, as the, as it plays out. How, how is it going to be different? Is it just a matter of the kind of player that they get? Maybe somebody that doesn't just lose faith in the organization after one bad year and a couple of bad moves. You know, maybe somebody that just honors their contract or honors the, the spirit of their contract, I want to say, because it's not like he didn't honor it. They let him sit out and then traded him. You know, like he, everybody says Sean Watson didn't honor his contract. I know what you mean. He didn't honor the spirit of it, but he actually technically did because they didn't hold him account. They didn't like, they didn't make him honor it. So, uh, so he kind of did, but, but do you, do you, do you bring in just guys who are different or do you, do you make a change, right? Do you do something different in how you deal with your players and how you uh, build these relationships? Uh, like I, I think that's going to be fascinating on whatever the next wave of stars. So like put Deshaun Watson in the section that includes JJ Watt, DeAndre Hopkins, um, I don't know, whoever else that, that you like from those teams, maybe Whitney Merciless for a year or two until things went down. Like, put, them, put him in a section of, okay, these were the star players of this era. This is how it ended for all of them, okay? Uh, what about the next, the next batch? You know, how, how, how will they reflect on their time? What will their time with the organization be like and feel like? Um, and, and will the Texans have shown that they learn from these mistakes? You know, they learn from the mistakes. Will they have learned from the mis- from the mistakes that turned them into a four win football team in back to back years? And who knows? God knows what they might be in twenty twenty two. It's one of those things. I think one of the questions I would want to ask as well is: Was there, did you feel there was any opportunity for you to change the situation that can convince Deshaun to stay and 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 highlight the the reasons why or or understand the reasons you know because he talked about problem solving solutions and you know how do you is it what you know what made you think it was so irreparable you know and just ask the question i don't think you would answer it either but you know could they have changed the course of where this had to go and could they have changed you know the outcome without having to trade and i know the answer is no and everyone knows the answer to that but it would be good just to get some context because i know he kept saying kept referencing uh you know we can't uh we, we can't change the past but at the same time, yeah. you know, there was 14 months of uncomfortableness. Are you telling me at any point, neither side softened, neither side had anything to offer the other one that could change that? Um, or certainly, you know, could have could it even have been at least you signed a contract or signed a new contract and then traded them and that would have been easier to sign the, you know, you know anything, you know, there's, there, would have been, there is options there. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a dead co- cause. Um, and just understand for his point of view. And I'm sure he probably tried. And and I'm sure that's part of his frustration. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I would have a tough time believing that he didn't try. 
And yeah. and he he mentioned not wanting to speak for Deshaun and what his you know intentions were or thoughts were. But I mean, he's spoken to Deshaun. He know he knows what he. I mean, obviously he dealt with his agent. So I think those from both Deshaun and his representation where Deshaun stood, and that uh, you know that his mind was made up at that point. It seems like he was dug in. I, I'll say this, and and this is just this is a projection by me, like a a feeling type of thing. I'm not saying this with any kind of level of authority. I want to put that out there, but I do get the sense that more than I ever have that Deshaun Watson is much more of a follower than a leader. Like he plays a leadership position on the football field and as a quarterback and is, and is really, really good at it. Great at it. And so in our minds, we think of him as a leader because he's a quarterback and he's a great one. So he must be a leader. And, And, you know, that's fair. He plays a leadership position on the field, but like as a guy, as a dude, I don't, I don't get leader from him. I, I don't get, I don't get, uh, and I'm not like big al- alpha male type of guy, but like, I don't get that. I, he seems very impressionable. And I very much get the sense that all of this was more agent driven, more team driven, like uh, his, his, not the Texans, but his personal team, you know, the, the voices in his head, if you will. Hmm. And so, you know, in that regard, I'm kind of, you know, I, I kind of have soured a little bit on the guy just as a leader, as, as like the guy. You know, I still think he's going to do great things in football. I think he, you know, if he stays healthy, he'll be a, continue to be a great player. But, um, you, know, you know, when we were talking earlier about asking him the question of what changed, could, it have, could, have, could things have been fixed? Um, wondering if Nick Casario got an impression from Deshaun, could things have been fixed? Did he feel like he got a fair shot? You know, I I don't know. I feel like those questions are better for David Mulligetta because I feel like that's the one that was actually making the decisions, that was actually influencing the the, the calls and the decision making here. David Mulligetta, not Deshaun Watson. And 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 the rea- the reality is that unless the suspension comes in heavy, heavy or or a greater degree than we'd expect, or you know, versus president and the president of the NFL discipline policy has no you know, fundamental basis or grounding, so it could be anything. Um, unless that comes in or unless there's some sort of injury or just some really bad luck for Cleveland, you know, these next two years' worth of picks might not be worth a whole damn lot and they're probably, you know, eight or nine picks swing off what you got Ross Blacklock at. So, you know, the the value and the equity, because when I, I sort of measured it up, I thought year one equity flow is, is, you know, in terms of draft picks, if you take players out of it in this instance, then it was how many picks did you get up front in year one? Um, and the uh, and the answer, you know, the answer was limited. So it's, it's definitely something that, you know, that, that, that when you look at that point of view, um, <clears throat> then it, it was limited. So if you think of year one equity flow, year two equity flow when the quarterbacks are all going to come in the market, yeah. then it's, diff- it's difficult to, it's difficult to try and understand where, and how the and how the value comes in, but I think ultimately here you're relying on the Laramie Tunsil trade not out, outstretching this unless you get some luck on your side. And we're due some luck, absolutely. But yeah. I think the the trade's gonna the trade's gonna rely on parameters that weren't agreed and just by chance and where these draft picks end up because they could be you know they could be late. Hey, tell me if I'm irrational about this. Is since you are one who 
was particularly disappointed with the compensation. Well, I took some shit on that for Twitter. I think what did I call? I think I, I mean I had a couple of drinks. I called Nick a fugazi. I think, and then I got a couple. Of, I got a couple of rather threatening private messages. Yeah, and that's that. where I it, and I get it because I, I think that's it. like it is true that they didn't get enough, but I don't think it was Nick's fault. It wasn't because Nick's a bad negotiator. I don't think. I don't think that's the reason why. Mm. But but well, I don't know. He, I don't know. he might be. I'm still waiting to win a trade. He might be impatient. Uh, or, or or maybe have have lost his patience, which could be the sign of a bad negotiator. But I don't I don't think that this is for sure indicative. Maybe he is a bad negotiator, but I didn't feel like this trade was indicative of that. Okay, but no, I will say, and you tell me if I'm crazy for this. When I after I saw that there were no twos or no players, I felt totally different about them keeping Laramie Tunsil. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I was I was kind of indifferent you know i was good with them trading them and then when they said they bring them back i'm like all right whatever sure now i'm like man go get the go get the twos or whatever he's worth like is he worth a one two two twos i'm sorry i don't think he's worth a one at this point but maybe maybe he is maybe you can find somebody that'll give you one like trade that guy Trade that guy. You're gonna draft. Well, you can't. You can't trade him now after reworking that. Right, 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 yeah. right. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm thinking. Well, damn, you should have traded that guy. You know, instead of reworking that contract, uh, especially if you felt like or sensed that maybe you wouldn't get the full return that you might desire for Deshaun Watson because of the way you were hamstrung, both by no trade clause and by the time. And by the public perception, or not just perception, but understanding that he was never going to play for you again, you have three things right there that are sort of handcuffing you, or not maybe not just handcuffing you, but in part handcuffing you, and 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 also in part just like vexing you, bothering you. The clarity, right? How much does a peace of mind cost you? Okay, if you know you're going to pay a premium for peace of mind, why not trade this other asset that you know is not going to really be useful to you for another couple of years? Um, given that you're not expecting to be good anytime soon, you know, I, to, to me, I just the, the other reaction that I had, as opposed to being mad with Nick for not getting more, I think I was just as mad that he kept Laramie Tunsil, which was another trade asset. Um, that uh, that that as a player, I don't feel like has like a super utility for you. You don't, I don't think you need a Pro Bowl, like an All Pro Pro Bowl type of left tackle to begin with. No matter how good you are, you just need somebody that that doesn't suck. But but on top of that, you have one of the highest paid left tackles in football on a team that's that's probably not going to be any good. More than like like we would be shocked if this is a competitive football team this year. Shocked, right? So what the hell? Why is he here? I don't get that. Again, it goes back to the same theme you said earlier. It's, it was the contract that was signed that summer, going into the twenty twenty year, a short term. High high guarantee, high APY contract that only suited you. Sorry, going into the twenty nineties, it only suited you for one year, um, and then after that, it all sorts of unravels and becomes very exposed. But yeah, and I think when you when you look at this draft, Brandon, and the whole point is we get draft picks back. So as we look to the draft, you've got pick three and thirteen, which makes it interesting for the first time in a long time, which is great. You know, it really is it is exciting. Um, and it's obviously made everybody reevaluate. And this is the first year I've been putting a draft board together. I'm up to about 150 players now. 
um, trying to calibrate them is a fucking task and a half. That's the that's where the skill comes in. Anybody can evaluate, but it's how you how they all correlate and, and stack up. Because you know, as uh, if anybody's seen that famous video, you know, they said there's levels to this shit. Yeah, you know, what I mean, so there's so you got so you've got to understand you know where these players sit. But for me, so far, anyway, and caveat this with you know relative layman, but. I think for me, there's about one to seven or eight players who are kind of top tier. Okay. There's probably eight to tw- eight to maybe eight to fifteen players who are kind of in that tier below, and then I think from player twenty to about player sixty, it's lottery stuff. And I mean lottery of a higher quality. You know, it's not necessarily like a six round pick lottery, but I think there's definitely picks in there. You know that can that can definitely you know, turn into quality starters in that 20 to 60 range. Um, so from the sort of back end of the second round right up until, you know, the late second. So, sorry, back, back into the first to late second, I think there's a lot of value to be had there. Um, so here's a couple of scenarios that came out in the in the, in the the recent mock drafts, obviously, in the last week. Um, so CBS had Ike McQuanu, um and uh, Jermaine Johnson III, former Hard Knocks star, NBC had uh, Kayvon Thibodeau and Trent McDuffie at 13. Uh, Pro Football Network had Kyle Hamilton and Trevor Penning, which, yeah, yeah probably shouldn't have mentioned that one. Uh, PFF had Kyle Hamilton and Jordan Davis. And uh, Sports Illustrated had Evan Neal and Garrett Wilson, the wide receiver from Ohio State. Of any of those, is there, would, you know, or do you, or do you have a preference of or which way you can go, particularly at three, first and foremost? Yeah. So the only, I, I like Kyle Hamilton to me as the best for me anyway, the best player with the most potential in this draft. I feel like uh, re- relative to his position, right? Like obviously, if you know a left tackle, if one of these left tackles is as good as they say he is, like if Evan Neal. Is Evan Neal the Evan Neal that they're yep. about, that's going to be more impactful? But I love Kyle Hamilton as a prospect. That's who I would want at three. Uh, and I, I just want to say that the whole excuse or idea that you don't draft him because you run Lovey Smith's cover two scheme and that it would that he would be limited and that you wouldn't do a lot with Kyle Hamilton, that you wouldn't maximize Kyle Hamilton in the Lovey Smith system. I don't like that argument. Um, I, I understand it. But at the same time, I feel like you draft players over system and that you need to adjust said system if you've got a player that can transcend it or that's just flat out better uh, or very good. So so that's where I'm at with that. Uh, I want to make a broader point about this draft, though, the reason why I like it so much, because I want to be honest with you, and this is not a cop out from your question, but I really like almost all of those scenarios that you pretty much all of those scenarios that you put out here. Well, they improve us. Every single one of them improves us. Every single us. one of them improves yeah. us. And so yeah. not to be, and I wouldn't call it lazy because I've been studying this, but I, I do feel like I'm not picky at all with where they go with these picks and that it's almost a foolproof arrangement here because there's no, and this is even more crystallized than it was during the season when we were having this conversation about tanking and I thought it was ridiculous because I'm like, first of all, tanking's for losers, which we, uh, you know, I guess we are at the time. But second of all, who are you tanking for? Who's that one guy that you got to go out there and get quarterback or otherwise? Like, I'm not even just talking quarterback, but like, who's the one 
can't miss prospect that you just got to tank for didn't exist. But the other side of that is it's a bunch of guys you'd love to have on your team, you know, and I think the bulk of this first round, which is why it's so cool to have. It also, why I'm cool with not trading back. I, I'm cool trading back as well, but I, I would be great if they just pick it three and pick it 13. Cause I think you can really get, get really, really good players at those spots. So I'm not about to be somebody that's like, you know, like I like Kyle Hamilton. Um, I'm not a big Aiden Hutchinson guy because the, the times that I watched him, obviously he's an elite pass rusher in college. I was seeing him getting eaten up in the run game. And we've I've seen enough of that for the Texans. I'm not saying he can't be any good, he can get any stronger, and that he's going to suck in the run game in the pros. But look, as somebody that's been watching the Texans the last couple of years, I don't want to see any more of that, you know? Um, and I know the numbers with, uh, with Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau are somewhat similar. Um, and how they perform in these regards. Um, so there's not like a necessarily a clear guy who's better, but uh, but I, I do feel like they can get high in talent no matter what they do with three and thirteen. I'd love to see Kyle Hamilton. Um, I, I am fascinated by Sauce Gardner, Ahmad Sauce. Is it Ahmad? Well, so they call him Sauce. I'm just gonna call him Sauce. Yeah, Sauce Gardner. And because I, I mean, takes a that's just, takes a special level of confidence to call yourself Sauce. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, real quick, Houston. Um, and I, you know, I don't know if this is part of his story or not, but uh, Houston has the city of Houston has these uh, these rappers called Sauce Twins, who I think may I think they popularized about let's call it eight or nine years ago, maybe even longer than that. Uh, the term salt, like saucing, uh, as like a stylish kind of thing. Like, so, so sauce is popular. Let's just put it to you that way. Sauce as a slang term is popular in Houston because we got the sauce twins and sauce walker. And, uh, and he would immediately be a hit here because that's his nickname. I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, along with that, you know, the mock that I saw had, who did they have them with? Uh, I saw an NFL.com mock that had them trading down to eight and still getting Thibodeau. You know, they had Atlanta. Oh, right. OK. They had, yeah. They had Atlanta trading yeah. up to three to pick to take Kenny Pickett, which I thought was hilarious. But it's got Atlanta trading up to three to take Kenny Pickett. That would be so great uh, that they do that. But I think was, I think though that Willis yeah. went too. Right. The, 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 yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah. And I think if we can get. Uh, like so that Chad wrote a four round mock draft. I don't know what that actually to talk about that just as an example because again, kind of like if you're hoping for Cleveland to have ill health or injury suspension, what have you, kind of similar in this instance as well. Because really, I think the 13th overall pick for me, Brandon, and I keep looking at it and I spend far too much time and wasting my time, I'll never get back. But every day I'm looking at it, and I think it could be a no man's land potentially of those two tiers that I talked about, you know, because you've got one to seven or eight guys who are, you know, potentially day one, kick the door in starters, you know, not, you know, not in the sort of Jalen Ramsey, Miles Garrett kind of day one blue chip guys, but certainly, you know, potentially solid. Will they improve us? 100%. Will any of these guys improve us? Yeah. So beggars can't be choosers, but I think that 13th spot potentially has, you could have all the, the top three corners off the board. And you could have the top three pass rushers off the board, and then you could be sitting there going, "Who do we take here now?" And I think that that's the concern. Wide receiver, like I, I well, yeah, I, I'm with you. I I get that. Like if the top pass rushers and the top corners are off the board, and obviously Kyle Hamilton would be off the board at that point too, more than likely. That's not ideal. 
but it's also a deep wide receiver draft. And you could use those too. So like that to me is the least desirable option, but I'll take it too. Cause I'll take upgrades at wide receiver. You know, I don't expect them to address running back until the second round at the earliest. So I'm good with that. You know, and if you can come out of here with like whoever you think is worthy of the number three pick, if you can come out of here with that guy, okay, which I feel like there are enough, there's four or five guys that we feel like could go in the top three, maybe more than that, maybe maybe eight or nine that we feel good about going in the top three. All right, get one of those. And then if 13, the scenario you present where the top pass rushers and the top corners are gone, like the mock that I saw had Derek St- had them taking Derek Stingley at at yeah yeah okay yeah I, I don't know if he'll be going at thirteen he could still be there so like but if he's not you know Drake London uh, Jameson Williams and I'm not putting it in any order here these are all wide receivers no, no, yeah, really yeah. good that I think would would instantly make the Texans offense better you know like let's 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 go that route you know I I, I think that I think you got nothing but good this is a good way to put it you got nothing but good problems here in this draft. Yeah. And you know, absolutely. I think like, and if you got Jameson Williams, who is Will Fuller on speed, you know, he's that good. He is just a game record, like uncoverable, you know, and he, if you hadn't tore his ACL in the national championship game, hundred percent, talked to him about the bye week at that point, he was maybe a second or third round pick as the season went on college last year, cement himself number one. But I think for me, the point of, and this is a bit over analysis as well, but I think that for me, I kind of split it into four tiers. I think that, the, the tier one of, of the most premium value that you want to get in the top sort of end of the first round is quarterbacks, edge, tackles and cornerbacks. And they're the, the four most premium positions on any roster. So, but for me, I almost think you want to, if just say you can't trade out and we, and we can't get the trade out. I think you almost, because edge rusher without doubt is the deepest spot in this, the deepest position in this class, you probably want to go corner if you can because there will be some value that will fall to you. Because I think in this draft, you could probably get a guy in the third or fourth round who will come in and, and be able to play you know, reasonably early because it is that deep. Um, but ultimately, you want to get the best quality talent in those positions. And then I think for me, tier two is you know interior O-line, defensive tackle, wide receiver and safety. They're the kind of next tier of guys that you potentially want to be looking at in later rounds. And then I think the sort of th- the tertiary tier, if you like, is linebackers, tight ends, running backs, positions that are reasonably easy to get, but they're less, definitely carry less value than others. And then obviously you've got your specialists, you know, which you can pick up at any point. But I think for me, you want to try and get one of those guys. But interesting on that Chad Router um, mock, it was interesting because it had two trades, two teams going above you, sec- or second was Malik Willis was off the board to Detroit. Atlanta come up to take Kenny Pickett, which I just can't see for the life of me. But as a quarterback driven league, it may or may not happen, which then gave you an extra second and a fourth back um, which meant then they picked up Thibodeau Stingley and then they picked up Kenyon Green and Kenny Walker, uh, which would, again, your biggest two needs would be interior O-line and being able to actually run the fucking thing for a change. So, like, you know, I think that would just transform the team. So, yeah, I think the 13 potentially has the spot to not give you the most value. And I think when this team, you've only got these three these three extra first and every single one of them needs to be a home run hit to give this team a chance of being competitive by 23. So it's uh, it's going to be interesting, Brandon. I'm, I'm delighted to be at this end of the draft, but yeah, I suppose you can't be big. You know, when your roster is, roster is barren, you can't be, beggars can't be choosers. Well, and, right? and, and again, that's why I describe it as a good problem though, because I, and I love the exercise that you've done to put them in tiers and I agree with you for the most part on, on how you've prioritized the positions, but you watch this team. 
There is, there's not a, no one is, no one is irreplaceable. <laughs> no one is irreplaceable. And there is not a, a position of non need. If that, if that is a clumsy way to put it, that, that doesn't exist. Oh, you know what? We don't need that. If anything, the only thing that's like that possibly would be tackle would be left tackle, you know, tackle maybe. And even then, you know, if you can get one of these guys, go ahead and do that. Right. So like, I, I don't know if there is a position. No, I do know. There is not a position on this football team where I'd be like, well, why'd they do that? You know, may, maybe it'll depend on who else was available and what else everybody else was doing around them. And then I might say, okay, why'd they do that? But that's the good problem of it is that you got a lot of options and you got a lot of needs. So let's, let's, yeah. let's, let's get it together for a change. Yeah. I think they've just got, just got to hope they can trade back. And I think that it, hopefully somebody's going to, as you, as you said to me the other day, it only takes one. And hopefully there is that one that just gives us that domino effect that can give more value from those picks. You've got a, you've got a high value chip. Let's cash it in for a couple of extra bets to give us some hey, spins of the wheel. You know, I tell you this though, if like that mock that we talked about with Malik Willis going to and Kenny and the straighten up the three to get Kenny Pickett, if two quarterbacks go in the top five, no, hell with it. If two quarterbacks go in the top eight or top 10, I don't want to ever hear anything again in the draft about how this is just the quarterbacks are weak in this, in this draft. Nobody wants quarterbacks in this draft. They might be weak, whatever. First of all, Last year's quarterback class had a real struggle. Davis Mills turned out to be maybe the best rookie or second best rookie of the class, at least from the from their rookie campaign. All of those quarterbacks that were hyped up, which who I will say, I still believe in the majority of those guys. I think they're all going to be good to pretty good, you know, pretty good to good. But that that left a lot to be desired last year on that quarterback heavy draft that we had last year. And then if I look up and this year, there's two quarterbacks that go in the top seven or top eight after being told all year about how they all suck. I don't ever want to hear that again, people. I don't ever want to hear that again because you will sell yourself on a quarterback if you need one. And I get it. You should. It's the most important position. Um, And that has been one of the more fascinating, like, narrative points for me. It's like, okay, everybody's saying how all the quarterbacks suck in this draft. Are we sure? And if we are, like, if we really think that, does that mean that they're not going to take them anyway? <laughs> if they have if they yeah, well, that's it, bad, yeah. badly enough at quarterback, like, I don't know how much that mattered, them sucking. No, exactly. Well, yeah, it's nice to be at the top end. I keep settling on the idea of just take a corner. He's a top, you know, consensus top five pick in the top three. Kick him inside for a year, then you've got a succession plan at one of the spots once you move on from either Titus or, or Laramie. But, uh good to be there good to be at the top end so Brandon thank you very much for your time mate appreciate it as always good to kind of rattle it through and try and iron out some of the final bits of Watson we hope we don't have to talk about him again Bart the reason why we've got those extra picks and uh, yeah interesting to see when the draft comes round and hopefully somebody will, will trade with us to uh, to, to spread, spread some of the equity across this roster but Brandon thank you very much for your time mate and uh Let's do this again some point over the off-season before, long time before football comes back around. Oh, man, I love it. Always love to do this. And hopefully, hopefully one of those three firsts makes you forget about Deshaun Watson. That's the goal. That's it. One of them. It's time to move on. Excellent. Brandon, thanks again, mate. We'll speak to you again soon. All right, later, man.